calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Oh, hello there. What? I'm all by myself. All by myself. See, Jenny's not here, so I can sing as much as I want. Um, It's Kristen, and I'm doing the intro all by myself because you'll be happy to hear that Jenny is hard at work recording her next album. So at least it's a worthy cause that's leaving me all alone here in the intro space. Uh, Just a few quick things before we get into today's conversation on season seven, episode two, Beneath You. First of all, You could actually listen to season seven, episode three, same time, same place, right after you finish this, because we did a live taping last Saturday on November 13th. And that live taping is still up. If you didn't get tickets and you weren't there live, you actually can still grab a ticket and watch our live recording all the way up until this Saturday when it comes down and then it is gone forever. Uh, So if you want to see the live taping rather than listen to the edited episode when it comes out in two weeks, you can do that. Uh, Just go to momenthouse.com slash buffering the vampire slayer. You can always go to our website and click on the calendar and find it there as well. It was so much fun. We had an amazing after party after the recording and played some music, sang some songs. It ruled. We have some new merch up in the store, specifically a handful of Tis the Season, whatever that means, socks. All that is left after we sold a lot of them at the live taping. So if you want a pair of those socks, go on over and grab them. They are up in the U.S. and the U.K. store while they last. And speaking of it being tis the season, tis the season for a couple of amazing holiday events that happen every year run by our listenership because you all rule. One of them is the Secret Slayer gift exchange. And the other is a book exchange called... I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's something like Yola Boca Float. It's an Icelandic tradition of gifting books, and it literally translates as Yule Book Flood. Both of these are open to any of our patrons at any level. You have until Sunday, November 28th 
if you want to join the book exchange and you have until Tuesday, November 30th, if you want to join the Secret Slayer gift exchange. It's really fun. Gifts and books are purchased and sent to Scoobies across the globe. Jenny and I have done the Secret Slayer gift exchange before. We're both going to participate in the book exchange this year as well. All patrons are welcome to join and you will see a post with all of the information that you need up on Patreon. Cool? Cool. Since Jenny isn't here with us, I asked her to write me a script where I could perform as Jenny and tell you the results of the Sexual Tension Awards from Season 7, Episode 1, Lessons. Okay, now you have to imagine I'm Jenny. Ready? Well, it's time once again to reveal unto thee the winner of last episode's Sexual Tension Awards poll. In fourth place with a mere... 9% of the vote. Willow and Gaia are going home disappointed. I thought for sure that this slot-nom combo would fare better, especially because I think it might be the queerest set from this roundup. In third place with 18% of the vote. And hey, I understand your hesitancy here because who exactly is this girl? It's Buffy? Question mark, question mark, question mark. And power. In second place for you, but first place in my heart and headcanon with a respectable 31% of the vote, it's Buffy and Principal Wood. Run, da, da, dun, 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 dun. Right? I did a good job. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to go read some fanfic. But first, it is my honor and privilege to tell you that the winner of the Sexual Tension Award for Season 7, Episode 1, Lessons, is Tony Head and staying home with 42% of the vote. Thankfully, with the cash prize associated with winning the Sexual Tension Award, Tony will be able to build an addition onto his house so we can all go and have a slumber party. Hooray! There ends my impression of Jenny Owen Young's. I didn't give you too many Jennyisms. It is an introduction. And with that, I'm going to usher us along into the episode so that you don't have to hear me impersonate Jenny anymore. You can hear Jenny herself talk about this episode. Welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one by one, spoiler free, in tandem with the Fitzwilliam Darcy to my Elizabeth Bennett (laughs) angel on top. They say mean things, but in their heart, I know they just want to invite me to live forever. In their impressive manse on their sprawling estate. I'm Jenny Owen. Wait, did I say angel on top? Uh, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you also. I'm, oh, yes. Tell them who you are. Go ahead. I'm Jenny Owen Young. Uh, and I'm Kristen Russo. And I'm really thankful for your explanation because I did not understand the reference. I'm probably one of four people uh, who didn't. But I'm right here with you. So I'm glad to know what. <clears throat> what the reference was. Didn't know if you were being nice, mean. Didn't know if we were nemesis. Didn't, I didn't know what was going on. Um, anyway, this week we are here. It's the second episode of the seventh season. It is called Beneath You. Uh, in case you missed it, it's Beneath You. Uh, as Buffy will say a few times, it is Beneath hmm. You. 
but where and from is, what will it be um, doing from that vantage I think point? It's beneath. Um, stay tuned to the end of this podcast every other week for an original song written by Jenny Owen Youngs, recapping the Buffy episode that we are discussing. Beneath You was written by Nick Mark and directed by Doug Petrie. Originally aired on October 1st, 2002, just 53 days before my 21st birthday, swarms of crows starting to accumulate in the various far-flung corners of did, the darkening sky, did you, harbingers of what was no, to come. Okay. Did you, uh, question, did you use the calculator that our listener Meg sent in to get that exact calculation, <laughs> or did you just have it on hand? I just had it on hand because it's so close, but I'm going to be using Meg's calculator most of the time. We asked last episode. Thank you, Meg. Thank you, Meg. We asked last episode for a birthday calculator for Jenny and um, listener Meg, not disappointing anyone ever, sent us a calculator. So now we have that. God bless. (laughs) This is the one where, according to IMDb, a giant worm-like creature begins stalking a young woman. As the gang begins to investigate, they realize its appearance in Sunnydale may be linked to dot 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 Anya. Anyanka, really. Kristen, I'm pretty sure this is the one where from beneath you it devours. I'm pretty sure you're right. <laughs> this is the one also where we're in Germany with some very intense techno music at the top. And the first thing I thought, Jenny, I don't know if you had this same thought. We're both children of the 90s. But I was like, oh, this is definitely Run Lola Run. This is like, yeah, this is a very clear very. homage. <laughs> yeah. So if you are not familiar, um, Run Lola Run is a 1998 German uh, film, and it was massively popular um, in the late 90s and early aughts. And so huge indie smash starring Franco Potente, whose name I may be mispronouncing. Nice. Uh, German and German adjacent listeners, please feel free to mm-hmm. let us know how poorly I have said her name. Uh, she has dyed bright pink hair and spends an entire film pretty much pretty much. running. <laughs> I had forgotten what the plot of the film was. I just remembered her hair, the running and a soundtrack comprised largely of uh, electronic music. Right. That's also and what I, I remember, read... just for the record. Right. So. <laughs> uh, but I read the Wikipedia summary to refresh my memory and was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I don't want to say anything about it because I don't want to ruin it for anybody who might be inspired to go watch it now. But I would say go check it out. Hell yeah. It's cool. Now, one main difference between the titular Lola <laughs> and the individual we are introduced to in this cold open is that... This new person is being chased by more of these uh, hooded ghost face. figures. Ghost face. Okay. Okay. And they do a little, unfortunately, grab and stab. This time we kind of see, I mean, technically we don't actually see it, but they, they give us a shot of her dying, uh, essentially, more than we saw in the last episode. The last episode I was like, but did they get her? Because who could know? They got her, and in her last moments, she looks directly into the lens belonging to the DP of Buffy's dream and says, (laughs) 
from beneath you, it devours. Oh, well, you better write that down because we may not hear it again. And it seems like an important note to. Yeah, yeah. You definitely don't want to forget that. And you won't be reminded of it uh, over the next 40 minutes. Buffy is screaming. It is definitely not Buffy screaming. This is like some canned scream. Like this is, I mean, it's not Buffy. That's not my Sarah Michelle Gellar. Uh, Dawn is waking her up because this is a dream that she's had. Obviously, I mean, maybe not obviously, but I think it's kind of clear that these are vision dreams. These are not just uh, in her uh, subconscious or maybe they're in her. When was the last time Buffy had a vision dream? Well, the one I remember most is the one with Faith and the cat, but it kind of obliterates all other vision dreams for me. So that might not be accurate. The one that truly matters. (laughs) Um, Didn't they have they had a vision dream? At the at rest in restless, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Don wakes up a screaming Buffy, and <laughs> Don's like, "It was just a dream, right?" And Buffy goes, "From beneath you, it devours." I find it so hilarious because it just <laughs> seems like a really intense thing to say to your younger sister when she says it was just a dream, right? From beneath you, <laughs> yeah. it devours. Okay, yeah, and then Buffy says. There's more like her, Dawn, out there somewhere. She moodily moves to somewhere stare uh, out the window. Da da da. And they're gonna die. The Kristen. Girls are okay. gonna die. Nice. Very good. <laughs> Okay. Well, Uh, elsewhere, somewhere else in Sunnydale, the world's largest gopher is tearing up (laughs) lawns and asphalt with absolutely no regard for anyone's landscaping, the time, energy, effort, money that they've put into manicuring their lawns. Wow. You just made me realize that the effects of this are so similar to the effects in Caddyshack. (laughs) A little gopher. Imagine that was the reveal the whole time that this that Ronnie was not a worm. He was actually just a gopher. But just a great big gopher. Great big gopher. Uh, it's a worm. My note, Jenny, as you might imagine, is it's a worm. It's a worm. It's a great big worm. Wow. Um. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just a little note on giant worms. Jenny, mm. you've seen the most recent film that has hit the cinematic universe containing giant worms. I haven't seen it yet, so don't spoil me on it, but it is called Dune. Dune! Uh, I, ju- I just watched another film uh, very recently on the 50th birthday of Winona Ryder, as a matter of fact, called Beetlejuice, which features sure, huge worms. incredible, incredible sandworms. And then, of course... The classic that I that I also just watched uh, with Joanna Robinson, Tremors. Oh, yeah. And Jenny, I know you love cryptids. So I wanted to just tell you, in case you weren't aware, there are a couple of cryptid worms. Um, but the most famous one Ooh. is the Mongolian death worm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The the um, word for it, which I will, I'm sure, mispronounce um, in Mongolian is Olgoy uh, Korkoy. Uh, and it is a giant worm that can take to land and sea and will surprise attack cows. Just just jump right out of the water, swallow a whole cow, and then go right back under uh, wow. from whence it came. So No muss, no fuss. There's a lot of, um, and, you know, I'm imagining that if you listen to this podcast, you know what a cryptid is. But, Jenny, do you want to you tell them what a cryptid is? It's just in case. What if they don't know? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Kristen. A cryptid? 
is an animal such as Sasquatch or the Loch Ness Monster that has been claimed to exist but never proven to exist. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't need proof personally. So, uh, And oh. I think like when I, I only did a very brief reading on the Mongolian death worm, but um, it was written down in the 1920s. Um, but the reason that, you know, these the reason that cryptids are reported, the reason that these stories are, are written down is usually because a lot of people have fucking stories about them. So there were a lot of stories <laughs> about this Mongolian death worm. And uh, that's your worm segment of this podcast. Ooh, yeah. worm segment. <laughs> well, it can go on living, right? Is that true or false? That if you cut an earthworm in half, it'll just keep living as two halves of itself? Is that false? Legend has it <laughs> that, a, that it legend? will grow two new little ends, but uh, who knows? <laughs> well, you know what? We probably have some worm experts, so go on. I hear the, the clickety slayer. clacking of their keyboards <laughs> now in the com. distance. Kristen, stop delivering irresponsible information to your listenership. Now everyone's cutting worms in half. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. First and foremost, don't cut worms don't in half. Don't do that. I mean, it sounds painful, horrible. Don't do that. But I am curious to know if they would go on living. Okay. Okay. According to a very brief Googling, stop your emails. If an earthworm is split in two, it will not become two new worms. The head of the worm may survive and regenerate its tail if the animal is cut behind the clitellum. I've decided I don't want to talk about worms anymore. Okay. I'm having an adverse response. No emails, no cutting worms in half. On we go to the basement to rats, where there's a rat. Worms to rats. The buffering away. The vampire slayer story. Squeak, 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 squeak. <laughs> so, yeah, we're in the basement. Spike is doing what we thought Spike might be doing, right? He's eating some rats. Yeah. Uh, talking and stalking. Not an effective uh, pair of gerunds to be getting up to. <laughs> Pick one, Spike, or go hungry. Yeah, he's talking to someone. I mean, we saw him at the end of the last episode with a, a shapeshifter of sorts. So we are not we don't know in this scene if that shapeshifter is somewhere in the room that we just can't see. If he's talking to nobody and is just maybe it's shifted into a rat. That's true. Maybe it is the rat. Uh, and he's saying now is not the time. His delivery of these lines and of a lot of his lines are very Drusilla reminiscent. Do you agree? Mm. Yeah, wow. I didn't even think of that, but yes. Which, like, I would imagine just comes from the fact that James Marsters, as an actor, spent so much time. You know what I mean? Like, that, like, he's he's picked up some of Juliet Landau's um, mannerisms in, in this kind of mm-hmm. headspace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oh, yeah. I, I don't know. And then everything starts fucking shaking. Uh, everything's shaking. Spike is screaming. And we're whisked to the Xandermobile. Yeah, they're really using that car this season. I mean, they it was in the budget. Now they got to get their money's worth. Uh, Don is simultaneously pumped that Buffy will be at school, <laughs> but also adamant that Buffy is not to speak to or look at her <laughs> on school grounds ever. I love this. I love that she gets both, you know, because usually you only see the side of the response that's like, do not even talk to me. But I love that she's like, in my heart, I am so excited. But on paper, you don't know me. Okay, (laughs) stay away. (laughs) Xander's feeling very nostalgic in this car ride. He's like, oh, yeah, they're so lucky. These students that they get a slayer and a friend, I hope (laughs) 
they appreciate it like I did. It's nice. It's just it seems so incredibly emotional for episode two, you know? Yeah. I found this whole episode overall to be kind of all over the place. Yeah. Uh, Peaks, valleys, disjointedness. I wonder. But it also contains so much important stuff. It does. I mean, the the last scene of this fucking episode is pretty massive. And there's a lot of Spike and Buffy stuff throughout that I think is really important. But I was wondering about it, too, because, you know, we talked last episode about the fact that, like, season seven, episode one, Sunnydale High School is back. They're doing a lot of callbacks. They're doing things that, like, we haven't seen in a while. And this really felt like a very Monster of the Week episode in a way that, like, we don't see as much now this this deep into the series which you know in its own way is a callback to the first season Mm -hmm. and so maybe that's why it feels so disjointed to us as well it's just like we're used to like having plot and plot alone like moving the thing as opposed to like there's the plot and then there's the worm you know (laughs) which is what this is (laughs) yeah xander laments that though he'd like to be dating something's not clicking Buffy has a mature response to this and is sort of just like, listen, what happened with you and Anya is a really big deal. And it's not something you're just going to like bounce back from. And I like that because Mm -hmm. it, it takes into account that even though like Xander was the person who caused the harm, I mean, to put it simply, uh, that it was a traumatic event for both parties and that neither one of them is going to be able to emotionally heal quickly and start dating again in any kind of way that's like, you know, they need healing. They need time. Um, Yeah. I like that. And this is just a, you know, everybody's talking about dating demons. Buffy calls out (laughs) Dawn's Halloween smoochathon. Love that one. Hell yes. With a vampire. Empire, uh, and it's 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 a little more fun towards the end than it was in the beginning when we were thinking about Xander and his trauma from leaving Anya at the altar. And we also hear tell that Anya is trolling for scorned women at the bronze. Yeah, and the last time we saw her, we had Hallie telling her that like she was not doing a good job as a vengeance demon. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. I guess she's doing a good job now. So, Guess Principal so. Wood, hooray! Principal Wood. Uh, I love to see him. Everyone was a little upset with us last episode for not nominating all of us and Principal Wood. And like, ooh, fair. It's super fair. Um, Huge so- mistake. But also, secretly, perhaps I failed to do so in order to save him all for him yourself. for myself. <laughs> That's right. We get a little... Flutie reference in here. Uh, We get a little Buffy's pumped to give detention. She doesn't know what her job is. She doesn't know why she has it. All valid questions, in my opinion. Principal Wood makes one small misstep uh, when he makes a joke about beating students, which I... Yeah. Could do with him. Well, I mean, yes, of course. So could I. But, like, the way he... The way that he says it it's it's obviously he's just talking about like they respond well to discipline and not friendship you know he's just right he's just being like dramatic about it i don't i mean at least that's the vibe i got um and the way he but the way he delivers this is by saying the boot the bat and the bastinado um and he's like nobody ever gets that joke because nobody ever knows what the last thing is and buffy's like uh they used it in turkish prisons it's a rod it's uh, actually can be really useful as a blah 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 like gives him the full book report on what this uh instrument is to which i think we're meant to ask like 
why does Principal Wood know what this is? And to which Principal Wood is perhaps asking, why does this new hire, Buffy Summers, know what this thing is? She got my joke, but... Hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, we learned that Wood is a vegetarian. Yes, I have that in all caps. That seemed like the most important thing of this scene. <laughs> yeah. So with no um, troubled teens to listen to at the immediate moment, Buffy goes sniffing around the school and is drawn back to the basement. No students allowed. No students allowed. Uh, she's looking for Spike. She's not finding him, but then she hears a door close creepily, and we change scenes. Oh, let us go to England, shall we? Back at Tony's house. Taxi's here. Honk, honk. Uh, this is a nice... <laughs> I really liked this scene. Um, you know. Oh, yeah, this is great. Right, Willow is... I like this scene for two reasons. One, because I like what happens here, and two, I think there's some overlap with what happens in the rest of the episode. Um but what's happening right here is just like Willow is nervous. Um, she says, like, I'm not I don't feel done. I don't feel ready. And you're telling me to, like, listen to myself. And myself says I'm not ready. What if I give up control and I go all veiny and homicidal? What if? And then sweet dad Giles says, what if they won't take you back? And she says, uh-huh. Willow. And Giles tells her that. He cannot guarantee that she'll be wanted, but she will be needed. Trust yourselves and the others might follow. Some good dad shit. Yeah, and then just in case you didn't get enough good good dad, he opens his umbrella to Aww. hold over her to walk her to the taxi. Come on. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, and the thing that, so I, I put an asterisk next to you may not be wanted, but you will be needed because that line feels important even just in this exchange. But then later with Spike, it felt like very much sort of his, his motivation, a part of his motivation was like, you know, like he, he knew that he wasn't necessarily going to be wanted, but he felt like he was needed for this fight. He knows that there's something like rumbling under the ground. Mm, Probably mm -hmm, more mm -hmm. to say about that, but I just thought like, huh. Yeah. Well, somewhere on the as yet uncorrupted sidewalks of Sunnydale, a brunette woman is walking a small dog that I think is a Yorkie. Mm -hmm. However, a hole opens in the sidewalk and the dog is eaten and I hate it. Does the dog die dot com. Yes. Yes, it does. Or it does. And maybe it doesn't. I mean. We don't know that it's dead. Maybe uh, Ronnie just pulled it down there for some company and there was a little worm walking a little Yorkie down underneath the ground. Oh, my God. You don't know. We don't know. A question I have about the entire arc of this episode is when Ronnie is changed from a worm to a person, if he did eat Rocky, is he still, does he still have, ro Does he, you know what I mean? Does his human body have, ro okay. I don't. Well, it's a great leash pull. That's my note for this scene. Great leash pull. Great leash pull work in this mm -hmm. where Rocky is dragged mm -hmm. underground and uh, as yet named brunette character is sort of dragged along the sidewalk by the dog's leash until she reaches the hole in the ground. Eek. She then goes back to the summer's living room. Uh, this is very reminiscent to me. Well, she runs away from the hole and runs directly into Xander, who I feel like is too close to have not seen, seen the anything that just happened but okay right uh and he's like let me take you to the living room of the summer's home 
Which to me reminds me a lot of this scene is very like angel investigations, you know, (laughs) we don't see this a lot, like a civilian, like sitting down and being like, and then I saw a worm. (laughs) Do you think I'm crazy? No, ma'am. We understand. We live in Sunnydale, too. It's like very like detective-y. So (laughs) this girl's name is Nancy and Xander Mm -hmm. is taking it upon himself to attempt flirting with her. Mm hmm. Uh, she's convinced nobody will believe what she saw, but they're like, oh, Nancy, we've seen things. Nancy starts describing the rumbling, and Buffy says, from beneath you, it devours. At this point in my notes, I'm just writing FBYID. <laughs> yeah, because she never says, like... She never sets it up. This is like the second time that she has not set it up. She's not like, oh, I had this dream. And in the dream, they said from beneath. She doesn't say anything. She just says to Nancy, who she's only just met, <laughs> from beneath you, it devours. Buffy. Nancy, catch up. <laughs> be, be chill. God, you're scaring everybody. So then straight from the salon. Oh, yeah. Here is a newly... Be peroxided in uh, a Jennyism, Spike. Um, did he go to the salon for a cut and a root touch up? I think so. I don't think he did this himself, but also he seems blonder than he's ever seemed. I agree. Um, I mean, I don't. If it if it was just really really blonde, I would think maybe he did it himself. But since he has su- such a new cut, I don't. I don't think that he would be able to do that. He can't even see himself in the mirror. Oh, true. So, yeah, I think he went to the, the, the demon salon and they were like, man, you need some help. Uh, and they just went hard with the peroxide. So <laughs> he's also wearing he's a also wearing blue shirt. And it is tight. Very. Form fitting. Mm-hmm. Unsurprisingly, Xander is none too happy to see Spike darkening yeah, this particular threshold. He's not, and Dawn is also leaning into the way she was upset at the end of the season last season, where it's like, <laughs> you didn't tell me this again. Like, she's always so upset about finding things out after the fact. So for Dawn, it's like she's upset, but she's doubly upset because she's asked Buffy to communicate more clearly in the past, and Buffy is still doing the same shit and keeping stuff close yeah. to the chest. Dawn says, you only let us in whenever you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Now, what I really like about this scene is that (laughs) after Dawn's like, why you didn't tell me that you saw him in the basement? (laughs) Buffy's like, things were insane in the basement. And Nancy is like, okay. (laughs) And Buffy's like, I saved your life. And Nancy's like, okay, (laughs) I guess. Yeah, Nancy's, I mean, that's like one of the best ways that Nancy is used in the whole episode is the, yeah, as the like the role of the outside observer just coming in and being like, I knew Sunnydale was like a little off, but what the hell are you people doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, Buffy mercifully decides to have the rest of this conversation privately and pulls Spike into the foyer. Yes. Um, Buffy says, don't say you're sorry. And Spike says, I didn't come to atone. I came to help. That's where I wrote down like, huh, you may not be wanted, but you will be needed. Like, where are these things kind of like overlapping? Uh, Uh uh And I'm just going to like put a little pin in this moment and talk about this a few more times as we go through the episode. But 
when we uh, aired Seeing Red, it was a four-part episode, and one of the episodes that went up on Patreon was a conversation between myself and Alba and Jess Clark, who you've heard in other episodes and may have already heard in the Patreon feed. We're re-airing that episode next week uh, in between episodes two and three of season seven of Buffy because I think that the conversation is very, very relevant here as well because Spike has left um, and has gotten a soul and has come back. And there are scenes like this one uh, that are very interesting. And I think like there's just a lot of richness in the way in which Buffy and Spike are interacting, uh, uh, the way in which it's written on the page and all of that stuff um, where we can revisit some of that conversation uh, and and dig a little deeper into a couple of these moments as well. But this is, this is interesting. I, I think like there's a lot happening here. And one thing that I want to note is that Spike is very clearly at this point in this scene allowing Buffy to set the boundaries, very much so, um, which is something that both of them very, very clearly struggled with last season. Yeah. Yeah, he's very much like, I'm just here to help. I, you know, I can tell that something's coming. If I'm wrong, I will happily leave. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can forget like, about this. Even if this. you don't want my help, even if you know something's coming and you're like, stay away from me, like put up any magical wards that you want to, need to, whatever. Like, this is why I'm here and this is what's up. Um, obviously, mm -hmm. as we know, this kind of unspools uh, later in the episode uh, because mm -hmm. and I will say, like, because trauma is fucking tricky and like that that is not condoning any of the things that will happen later or any of the ways in which they relate to each other. But like trauma is tricky. And I think like there are moments when you are like, we'll just joke about it or we won't look right at it or we'll whatever. And then something happens and it just all comes crashing down again. Uh, and so, again, we'll get more into it um, in this, like, little interstitial episode next week. But um, I do think that some of this is handled very realistically. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Buffy says, everything about you is wrong, Spike. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> but something is coming. So she decides that she and Spike are going to patrol while Xander takes Nancy home. Mm -hmm. Xander simply hates this nancy's like should we call the police and xander's like first of all no and second of all no <laughs> uh yeah 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 and then nancy's like wow is your girlfriend always so commanding or whatever yeah. she says and xander's Not like bleh, smooth, bleh, 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 girlfriend what no i simply must bleh, bleh, does not compute <laughs> Xander is like basically like calling back to how Xander was last season like Buffy how can you allow this like Spike tried to rape you and Buffy says and he failed and like I'm making this decision I'm taking care of myself and I need you to take care of what I've asked you to take care of Dawn so agreeable like this is the first time I've ever seen Dawn be like I'll stay home I know <laughs> okay <laughs> ever I'm command central yeah, she gives herself a little title to make herself feel better and is very aware yeah. of the fact that she's done that. And then add it to the pile of Kristen is a Dawn fan. <laughs> add it to the pile. Before Spike leaves, Dawn says, You sleep, right? You, vampires. You sleep. Yeah. What's your point, Emily? Well, I can't take you in a fight or anything. Even with a chip in your head. But you do sleep. 
If you hurt my sister at all, touch her, you're gonna wake up on fire. <laughs> How fucking yes. I'm just going to put this on the uh, table for consideration as we move through season seven. I, Kristen Russo, do believe that Dawn Summers deserves a jingle because she rules. Oh, all right. You know, Uh, this is great. It's just great. Uh, She's protecting her sister. She's looking out for her sister. She's drawing her own fucking boundaries without even involving Buffy. She's like, Buffy is going to do what Buffy is going to do. But I am Dawn Summers and I feel protective over my sister (laughs) and think that this is incorrect and wrong and not okay. And I'm going to fucking let Spike know. Yes, Dawn. Okay. So to the hole in the street left by the giant worm. (laughs) uh spike mentions that he's not keen on sticking his head in this hole and puffy says oh but if something bites it off that'd be a clue yeah and this is the scene that i personally respond very well to because of this it like starts with you just want to like like buffy is really just trying to be like everything is fine like fuck this guy and i'm gonna make jokes because that's what i do i mean this is buffy this is what she does in the face of many different kinds of trauma she makes a joke Mm -hmm. and then it's only moments later in the scene when he's like can you hold this torch and it's when buffy makes contact with spike that then she has this flashback Uh, as a television device i don't think that this is cool at all um because i don't think that like any viewer needs to be re-traumatized uh, having seen this scene the first time in a way that is entire you do you cannot prepare for it um, because you don't know as the viewer that it's going to happen until it's like happening. Uh, so I don't think it's super responsible television wise, but I do think it's very effective uh, in terms of like trying to not look at trauma and then like these moments when you don't necessarily feel at all like it's going to come up that it comes up. But how do you feel about it being in every previously on right, for the same. last? Fucked up. It's fucked up. We don't like mm. it's fucked up. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's probably more fucked up that it's in all the fucking previously ons than it is that, that it's here. But still, it's just like not a thing that I think anybody really wants to flash back to. <laughs> Least of all Buffy. Um, and but before we get there, sorry, I, I just have some, as you can tell, some feelings about the way that this like narrative is shaped with the two of them. But um before we get there, Buffy is like, so what happened to you? Um, and Spike is really just not, at this point, he is just not telling her. He's just like, the, there were some demons, they were getting to my head, and, um, you know, why didn't you tell them that I was back? And Buffy's like, I just hoped that you were a mirage, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So then we get this flashlight flashback scene. um, And right after this moment happens, Buffy looks at him and is like, I need you to know that this is work. Like we are not, there is nothing happening here. Um, and, And Spike says... I can't blame you for being skittish, which is a horrible Bye. word choice. And thankfully, uh, it seems everyone else is aware that this is a horrible word choice to use in this context, including Buffy, who's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, that's the word you're going to use? You tried to rape me. And she says that clearly. And this is the first time that she is saying that out loud to Spike. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is very powerful. I think that's very important. And she says, I don't have words. And he says, neither do I. He says, I can't say I'm sorry. I can't say forgive me. 
It's like he could. I think he's correct on the forgiveness. Like, yeah. It's just so much when you consider the profound immensity mm-hmm. of what he has done. Mm-hmm. When he considers it, mm-hmm. um, I could understand how ridiculous yes. it would see it could seem in his mind uh, to apologize or ask to be forgiven. I think like even giving an apology can seem when you have like fucked up on on such a massive scale even offering an apology can feel like asking something of the person you are apologizing to yeah yeah no it does and I think like that's what he's meaning by saying he can't say he's sorry he's connecting that to the forgiveness he's like sorry the word sorry to, to to me implies that you would then have to also respond in some way and that's not something that I would want to ask of you and I mean I think like that he doesn't say the word accountability but essentially that's like what I think they're working around here is like this very bad thing happened and I know that I can't ask you to forgive me and I wouldn't even want to ask you to forgive me. Uh, All that I can say is that I have changed. And she says, I believe you. I just don't know how. Like, I sense that something is different. I don't know what it is. um, And I don't know what you've changed into, right? And he's not telling her. Uh, They're not having that conversation here. But this is also, this Mm -hmm. also just feels very grounded to me in like a very real space of, they have an intimate, long-term relationship. Massive harm has occurred. They are engaging with each other again. And what the fuck does that look like? And, like, I'm not asking. I mean, I'm asking that. But it's, like, I think that they are asking themselves that. Buffy is, like, what the fuck is this supposed to look like? And Spike is, like, what the fuck is this supposed to look like? Yeah. You know? And and they're and they're navigating that. And it's messy. Um, and I, I, for one, personally am here for it. It is interesting to see this being played out with the level of like complexity and nuance and sort of like also just like nobody knowing exactly what the solution is or what the next steps are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is very, feels very realistic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only person really painting in broad brushstrokes is Xander, you know, like he's like, you know, very much like rape bad rapist bad go away no conversation ever again the end you know dawn's just painting a gigantic fire (laughs) fair uh like i said already yes dawn here for it all right let's go to oh a a new apartment building i love to see some of the real estate in sunnydale you know right before it's destroyed like every other real estate in sunnydale here's the hallway Xander's game. What do you? Th- how do you rank Xander's <laughs> game? Also, how do you rank Nancy's game? Each on a scale of one to ten. Um, well, Xander does not do very good. She's probably at like a four. Um, but mm-hmm. I think Nancy actually turns it around in this scene when she's like, "I'm hitting on you." That's like my favorite move of all. You know, <laughs> just enough, enough of this bullshit. I'm, t- I'm gonna be direct with you. I'm hitting on you right now, and it, and mm-hmm. it disarms Xander, and then they're able to have a two second spark 
before the worm fucking burrows right through the goddamn apartment building or gopher. I guess we yeah. don't we don't necessarily know it's a worm yet. Could be could, could be a gopher. Be a gopher. Mm. Uh, a dig on Sunnydale's food quality uh, as well. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, all we really know, I guess, is double meat. Uh, and there was like one fancy bar that like Warren went to that. Uh, oh, right. I don't right. know. Do they serve food? Perhaps uh, some appetizers, some nuts. <laughs> the bronze serves blooming onions. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So who knows? But Xander and Nancy both agree that Sunnydale does not have great food options. <laughs> so Then comes the rumble and they run up to the landing. And this worm monster has burrowed directly from 1958 uh, from a B movie. Mm-hmm. It simply looks like something that was shot decades and decades ago and was cut in <laughs> it does. to this early 2000s television show. It looks wacky. I love it. I'm having a blast, but it's interesting. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So they're in the stairwell, and um, all of a sudden we learn that... Nancy has an ex named Ronnie and Xander, because he has also been here for seven seasons, is like, all right, okay, hold on. Who's this fucking Ronnie guy? And (laughs) would he ever do any spells? Because I know this drill. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then, oh, Nancy says, Nancy freaking says, you know that feeling when your ex is ruining every part of your life and it just doesn't stop. And Xander has the audacity (laughs) to say, Yes. Yeah, fuck you, Xander. <laughs> Z- how the how fucking dare you, sir? As On Anya what says, ground later in the episode. Bite me, Harris. Uh, yeah. But what we glean? This is I just can't even begin to try to understand where Xander thinks he's coming from when he <laughs> says this. It's simply defies logic. Uh, well, actually, why don't we just go ahead and play the fucking patriarchy jingle right here because usually that is the thing that helps us understand the defying of logic. Hmm. The patriarchy! <laughs> A 
All right. So we learn that, no, in fact, it it may not have been Ronnie who uh, has manifested a giant worm to attack Nancy. It actually is that Ronnie was an abusive asshole uh, and Nancy really wished that something horrible would happen to him. And Xander's like, did you say wish? (laughs) Record scratch. (laughs) So obviously now the the gang gets all together. Uh, We've got Spike, Buffy. We're off to the bronze. Nancy Xander and Anya. She's looking real good. Jenny. She's looking good. You got to look good if you want to talk to scorn women. Yeah. At least in my experience. It's true. And this gal she's hanging out with is talking about her spineless boyfriend and wishing he could just be actually spineless. <laughs> and Anya's like, I can do that. Yeah. Do you just want to make, just want to get a little more specific? I love the like flirtation towards the wish part of the vengeance demon's life, you know, just like gently guiding them to say the proper uh-huh. words. Uh-huh. <laughs> so in walks these four and Anya just says, Oh, penis. Oh, penis. Buffy, Spike, Xander, and Nancy have walked in, and uh, Nancy's like, hey, I know you. (laughs) Dude, Xander asks, uh, did you turn this lady's ex into a giant worm monster? And Anya laughs spitefully, (laughs) catches herself with her, the point of her tongue on top of her top teeth. And then says in a way that she hopes conveys that she uh, feels remorse. Yes. <laughs> what I enjoyed about that delivery, Jenny, is that you were trying to both explain it and do it at the same time. <laughs> it's true. Unfortunately, podcast is not a visual medium, so no one will ever know. Only me. Only me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Anya has done this and she's like, I thought we were clear on the terms. You wish, I dish. That's how this works. Um, Love the motto of the vengeance demon, like hanging on the door, the clubhouse door. You wish, we dish. Yes, nice, nice. (laughs) We have a quota and he has it coming. So Anya is immediately sad and moved by one thing and one thing alone, and that is that there has been a lost Yorkie. Later in the episode, Spike is also most upset about Rocky. Okay, then we get this delightful exchange. Mm -hmm. Xander identifies Anya as his ex. Anya tells Spike when he touches her that he doesn't get to go there again. Uh, Nancy's like, hey, wasn't Spike Buffy's? It was never serious. All of this stuff. And then... Is there anyone here that hasn't slept together? Spike and Xander exchange meaningful eye contact. This has to be, like, there had to be spander conversations happening in real time in season six for this to be the choice here. Because there were a lot of people that could have looked at each other who had not slept together if it, Anya and Buffy. Right. So it's Xander like, and Buffy. So they prob so in in the canon that we are following, these two look at each other because they have slept together, but yeah. nobody knows about it yet. And they're oh. like, oh, our little secret. <laughs> uh-huh. 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 
So we learn because Buffy's like, but Anya, a worm is like this big. <laughs> Why is your worm <laughs> destroying Sunnydale? And Spike is like, it's a slugath demon, uh, mm-hmm. not a worm. Uh, and, you know, this is Anya's trying to make up for uh, her, her past failures. She's overcompensating. She's overcompensating. Exactly. There's probably a really fun way to take overcompensation and something worm related and smash them together for a fun word. But I don't know what it is. <laughs> Do tweet your por- portmanteaus uh, at Good. us at BufferingCast. Thanks. Um, so then Anya's like, you wouldn't understand because you're all human. And Spike's like, bah, bah, bah. not me. I'm, I'm not a human. I'm uh, definitely still a demon. And Anya. Dude, the, the dawn of the lady doth protest I, too much me thinks. Seriously. Spike cannot. But Anya is like, oh, this is incredible Emma Caulfield delivery. She's looking into Spike's eyes and she's like, oh my god oh my god and then she's like so amazing like how did you how you have to explain i can see she and nobody else is in the room with anya she's just like holy fuck you have a fucking soul i've only seen this happen one other time before and that dude went to los angeles what the fuck and spike Mm -hmm. is like Mm -hmm. oh no oh no oh no yeah spike is interiorly spiraling and exteriorly he's like the lady must continue to protest and yes. punches Anya in the face. The only way that Spike can prove that he doesn't have a soul is to be the biggest asshole that he can possibly think to be. And he does a good job at that. He's had a long time to practice that and know what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he punches Anya in the face. Anya, of course, is a fucking vengeance demon. So she immediately stands up with full vengeance demon face and is like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, let's see where that goes. She kicks him across the room. Yes. Then he and Buffy exchange punches. This is like... Buffy's like, oh, this is when I'm going to take my shot. Spike goes lower than anyone ever needs to go in referencing. This is so bad. And uh, Nancy, as disgusted as the fucking rest of us, is like... You're all a bunch of fucking freaks. I'm fucking out of here. I don't even yeah, care if there's yeah. a big worm after me. I, I can't stand it anymore. Nancy out. Spike, I haven't changed. <laughs> I'm the exact same Spike as I was in previous seasons. In fact, I'm doing my best season two Spike impression right now. Yeah. I'm so bad. So then Xander's like, um, not to like interrupt everything that's happening here, but Nancy's gone and there's a big fucking worm after her. And Buffy's like, God damn it. You know, because like all she wants to do is clean the floor with Spike's fucking face. But she knows Mm -hmm. that her she's been chosen to, you know, help people before killing uh, Spike. So, well, actually, technically, maybe she's kind of been chosen for both but (laughs) we can debate that later so she leaves she goes after nancy nancy is outside just like shuffling just saying like freaks outside she's so mad and she then of course is being chased by the worm Ugh, up a fire escape ladder she goes. Buffy running across the rooftops like freaking Batman. Fucking Batman and Robin following her. Buffy and Spike up there tip tapping yeah. up on the rooftops. Yeah, I love that actually. We have we don't get to see running on rooftops very often. Okay, are you ready to be disgusted? <laughs> yeah. Xander is pressuring Anya to reverse the spell. Anya's like, I'm in trouble at work. 
And my life was great until you left me at the altar. And Xander has the gall to say, and sooner or later, Anya, that excuse just stops working. Xander, I want you to go into the timeout corner Mm -hmm. and I want you to stay there and think about what you've done and think about what you have said. And I don't want you to come out of the timeout corner until something in your understanding of these circumstances has changed and and evolved in some way. Yeah, I mean, I think like this is because what Xander is attempting to say here is you can't kill people without consequences because you were hurt, right? And like on paper, that is, I think, you know, I think like that's how he's holding on to this logic is that's what he's saying. Right. But the issue is that we know Xander. We've known Xander for a long time. And Xander constantly does this thing where he holds up something that someone is doing that is worse than what he did, in his opinion, to get himself off the hook. Um, And that's kind of like the the heartbeat of this, I think, for a lot of us who see it. Because because on, on paper, he's right. Like, Anya can't just go kill people and it be okay because she was hurt that's that's true um but also xander does not have a he just doesn't have a fucking leg to stand on in this fight he should not be the one having that conversation with anya and the only reason he is is because he wants to feel better about the shit that he did <sighs> anyway fucking hey, tarzan how about jane a out tarzan here? swing to <laughs> boost your mood swing right on over to the old trash heap spike shows up and is all Leave the violence to the demons, the bad, bad (laughs) demons with no souls, just like me. And says also, big bad's back and looking for a little death. Unfortunately, contrary to plan, Anya apparently undoes the spell and Ronnie morphs from a worm into a naked man just in time for Spike to impale him with a metal rod. Yeah recoiling because the chip is apparently still fully working he's got a soul and a chip uh he's got the full platter Mm -hmm. this undoes all of the posturing that spike has been attempting to do here right he's like i'm just gonna get my hair cut and i'm gonna put on a blue shirt and then it'll be fine and then he's like oh no what if they find out that i have a soul i will be evil look look at me i am evil i am so evil i could not be more Mm -hmm. evil But then he hurts a person and it isn't really about fucking Ronnie. I mean, I don't think any of us give a fuck about Ronnie. Uh, But for Spike, it's just a trigger. It really is just a trigger of like unleashing all that he's been trying to hold back, which is this onslaught of memories of all of the harm that he's caused over his (sighs) hundred plus years um, as a vampire. And he he just completely loses it. And he's saying, right, wrong, help me. Uh, he has this moment where he screams, no need to shout. And like, I'm assuming that this was a blend of James Marsters and Doug Petrie accolades to both. Because the amount of time that he takes to extend the word shout is incredible. Followed by like this James Marsters laugh that is just it's just really effective to let you know that he is mm-hmm. absolutely not okay in any way, shape, or form. Um, yeah. and- he's ping-ponging all over the place. He's screaming. He's chuckling. He's twirling his little stick. He is referring to the headliner and saying, all will come tumbling down in death. Screaming. Horror. 
bloodshed. F-B-Y-I-D from Beneath You It Devours. Nancy's out of here. She doesn't give a fuck about Ronnie. She just, she's just like, you guys, just please leave me alone. Xander is yeah. like, she, I guess she's not calling me. Um, no, Xander. Xander says it could be worse. And Anya says, oh, it fucking will be. Damn it. Great. Cool. No problems here. So uh, Buffy and a graveyard question mark where someone has left lights burning at the chapel question mark exclamation point right have we ever well i don't think we've ever seen a chapel so we've just been saying cemetery this whole time and this whole time we have been incorrect well this could just be a different i think they've they've noted that there are a number of burial grounds at sunnydale so this could just Mm -hmm. be the one that's closest to that particular alley yeah, I was I was absolutely astounded to see this just little chapel here. Um, and I guess Buffy, how did she know? Did she did she follow Spike or did she does she have a sense for where he is? Like, regardless, she she licked her forefinger, <laughs> held it into the wind and said to herself, from beneath you, it devours and then went in the right direction. Oh, God. So, okay. So you can tell when we start laughing maniacally that um, we're about to have to tackle a really difficult scene. So Spike is like, the costume didn't work. Um, He's not okay at all. But he's, you know, I mean, Spike is very lucid in the fact that like every when we know what's happening and so when you know what's happening a lot of what he's saying does make sense to buffy she's like what in the fuck is happening but we know that he is wrestling with his soul um and that he put on this this outfit and like literally got his hair done to try to just not have to feel this anymore he's tried to cut his soul out of his body in the first episode we learned that so like that's what's happening here Kristen, I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it either. Jenny's just looking at me like, can you just talk about the whole scene? Um, uh, uh, he He's patching together fragments, right? And the, this yeah. first part, in, in my analysis, you know, and like it's just wh- what whatever your brain does with it. And But he, he says this thing that is very upsetting to hear, which is flesh, get it hard, service girl. Um... And if you follow what he's saying, he's sort of like recounting their entire relationship from in, in like a linear form. Again, this is like my analysis, but it very much feels to me like he is talking about because there is and it was in the previous Leons too. There was a span of time in their relationship, uh, a rather large part of their relationship where Spike was in love with Buffy and Buffy was admittedly just using him to forget herself, like using mm-hmm. him for service, basically. And, and like he's saying like this is how this began and then I and then I understood that it couldn't be more because of who I was and how I was and what I did um so that's how I that's how I heard this part I don't know Jenny if that's just totally off the rails for you or if that's where you are too uh I wasn't thinking about it like that but I do think it that is very interesting and I'm getting on board the K train 
to town. Yeah. I mean, regardless, this is awful, but I'm pretty sure that we're just going through this like journey through Spike's mind. um, And that's Mm -hmm. where he is when he's saying that. And then he's talking about the spark. He's called, he's referring to his soul as the spark um, to give us a little more time with Buffy not knowing. Uh, And, He's just like, I. there was no spark, and I, I knew that it wasn't going to fit. It wasn't going to fit if I didn't have this spark. And she's like, what in the motherfuck are you talking about? And he's like, I can't say it with you looking at me, which personally <sighs> shatters me. I mean, this whole fucking scene is, is really, really hard to watch. Um, and he says, I dreamed of killing you, but you make me weak. You know, essentially, like, all I want is for you to, like, be okay. And when I think of anything bad happening to you, it destroys me. We get a little fucking Angel reference. Love to hear it. Angel should have warned me. And that is what does it for her. As soon as he says, Angel should have warned me, she's like, what? This fucking guy. This is two for two. I've got two vampire boyfriends with souls. (laughs) <laughs> what did I do to deserve such a thing? Oh my god! Sorry, I just tried to give us a little lightness in this yeah. heavy stew. So okay, so we get to this line, Jenny, which I think let's just spend a minute on. Right? He says, mm-hmm. "I wanted to give you what you deserve, and I got it." And a lot of you wrote into us at the end of last season because we were like, "Did they not tell James Marsters and what have you?" And a lot of people were like. I've always read it like he he wanted to go there to become more evil, but the demon that he went to knew that what he truly wanted, even though he wasn't aware of it, was his soul. The reason that we didn't talk about it quite like that is because of this, essentially, that like he he seems to use his own words to say, I went there to get this because I knew you deserved somebody with a soul. But I guess you could read it either way, even still. It's so complicated because the television show is linear, right? Mm -hmm. And this always felt to me like reading it like flatly without like my interpretation of the performances, uh, just reading them from the screen uh, was always like, oh, he wants to get the chip out. He wants to be... uh, max evil spike right uh and then the demon was like ha 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 i'm a demon so i'm going to (laughs) right mischievously uh, return your soul to your body now on this watch through and with the kind of input from people like those who wrote in to say like that spike's conscious desire and spike's subconscious desire were at odds and like deep down he wanted to be a better man but like his uh you know present consciousness was unaware of that desire or unable to access it right i really like that interpretation best but it does not dovetail quite so nicely with this text yeah however because of the beauty of the writing of this scene Mm -hmm. and the performance i'm willing Mm -hmm. to let it go Mm -hmm. and hold two conflicting things in my mind at the same time yeah can i tell you Kristen? yes please that apparently uh, according to an interview that james gave this scene was shot with somebody directing i assume doug uh joss watched it 
and was like, this sucks. And went to James and was like, you were not directed properly. We're going to reshoot the entire scene, which is like at least another day's worth of work just for this scene, which uh, from James telling it sounds like is unheard of, you know, budgetarily and time wise. They already, you know, were known to be a show that had a more demanding shooting schedule than most. Huh. Right. Um, But apparently the first time around, um, James was act like was just like going for it a lot harder. Mm. And, you know, we'll never see that probably. But if this is what we get for an extra day's work, I think the subtlety and the complexity and the nuance that we get out of James's performance in this version of the scene is like, you know, devastating. It's absolutely devastating. There's like, even like watching it, it's devastating. When I like writing the words down on the page, it's devastating. As a person who is also very precious about things that I create, I like definitely understand. When you have something that is as important as what's happening in this scene and it doesn't feel like it is doing the thing you need it to, like, I mean, I, I have a lot of room for understanding, like, fuck the budget. It has to be right. This is a massive scene. Massive. It is such a big deal um, for, for so much, for everything that has come before and for a lot of things that will come after. This scene is incredibly important. And, um, you know, Buffy says out loud, your soul. And he, Spike is like, it's, it was a bit worse for lack of use. It's what you wanted, right? And then he's sort of like giving a voice to the fact that there's vo- like he's just there's all these voices in his head um there's him there's it the other the thing beneath you still here the, that guy's still here uh and be what <laughs> uh and he's saying they all they all just tell me to go go to hell um and i'm, I'm gonna play this sound clip um because we, we've been talking about how powerful this scene is and i think that we should just listen to um this last bit with buffy saying why why? Why would you Buffy, do that? shame on you. Why does a man do that he mustn't for her to be hers? To be the kind of man who would never... To be the kind of man... And she shall look on him with forgiveness and everybody will forgive and love. And he will be loved. So everything's okay, right? Can we rest now? Buffy. so yeah uh an absolutely uh, brilliantly stunning performance um a gutting scene to watch we see uh in case you don't remember and you didn't rewatch, we see spike leaning his whole body on the crucifix or cross in the church 
And so there's just smoke coming off of his body, his burning body, as he's laying on this cross and just saying, like, I need, I just need f- for, I need love. is really, like, if you, like, whittle it all down to its smallest core, it's just, like, I need, I need to be loved. I need, I can't feel like this anymore. I don't want to feel like this anymore. And it is really upsetting and Sarah Michelle Geller as always as always 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 is also stunning in a scene where she has like two lines and she's just taking this mm-hmm. all in mm-hmm. and moving through whatever she's moving through um having experienced the trauma that she's experienced but also trying to not trying to but also inevitably holding that trauma in one hand with the fact that this is a person deeply suffering deeply 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 suffering um and that's where this is complex like not to not to hit it over the head too many times but it's just like it is complex you cannot either or this it is not an either or it is very complicated and this scene is exactly that and i think it is probably one of the more brilliant scenes in the series in my opinion (sighs) yeah you know (laughs) (laughs) i'm just reading my notes over and over again and sighing heavily uh for me the line is they put the spark in me and now all it does is burn Mm. how fucking dare you beautiful writing too like you have to give credit because like obviously we've talked about the performance and we've talked about the direction but like the the written words are it's like fucking Spike is finally a poet here. This is fucking poetry, what he's saying, the, the way that these words are put together in, in a horrible way, in a gutting way, but like truly beautiful. Yeah. And it is so complex and difficult. I mean, we've seen them do a lot of things together and we've seen some real, some real fucking horrors. Yeah. You know, um, something that I think is interesting is that in in this episode we see Buffy, you know, really um, speaking very clearly on her own behalf. Yeah. Right. And we see a lot of the the posturing and the the bullshit um, from Spike. Mm -hmm. But now we see here in this final scene that for the first time we are certain that now Spike is living with what he has done in a way that he has not had to previously and Mm -hmm. maybe more importantly um, or maybe just as importantly Buffy knows yeah and I will be interested to see again Mm -hmm. uh, what we see in the episodes to come I think too the like the vulnerability of Spike and the fact that like he likely has not felt this level of vulnerability since he was very, very small. Um, you know, like since he was like a kid, cause like what he says, that's a line for me too. And this is, I can't say it while you're looking at me, you know, is like such a, it makes me want to like weep just thinking about that line because it is, it's a few fucking words, but in those words is like this universe of explaining how vulnerable he fucking is. Like he can't even 
be looked at when he talks about what he's experiencing because he is that upset and that exposed I think maybe is the word and um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's a lot and so you know we're uh, we're only at the second episode we've got 20 more so I guess we'll see what lies ahead um but you know only one thing can take this very upsetting ship and turn it around to have a, a little bit of a good time with some shit that is not in sold vampires burning on crosses. And that thing, Jenny, is the Sexual Attention Awards. Yes, come sail with us on the open seas of the Sexual Tension Awards. Many a tempest, many a distant siren song calls to thee and says, cast a vote for the noms we have slotted. Uh, Let me tell you about our noms this week. Please. Well, in your first slot, our noms. Ugh. Come for the food. Stay for the terrible flirting. It's Xander and Nancy. Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. In slot numero dos. Uh, well, who are these noms? They've been here before. I'm sure they'll be here again. A forbidden love that dare not speak its name aloud. It's Xander and Spike. I mean, they really... They're really competing in this episode for a win. I'm just going to say. Yeah. Yeah. They want that victory. In slot number three, sometimes two entities share a magnetic attraction that is undeniable. They simply can't stay away from one another. And it is such with this pair of nominees. It's Buffy. And the phrase, from beneath you it devours, F-B-Y-I-D. I am so thrilled that it got an acronym so that I can fit it inside of the Twitter poll. It's really working out for me. <laughs> and in the fourth slot, another uh, human individual and sort of concept or idea coupling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the passion here, too, is hot, flammable to say the least. Mm-hmm. It's Dawn and Spike's imminent death by immolation. <laughs> I'll try to figure out how to fit that into like seven characters before yeah, this post yeah, goes yeah. live. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Oh, God, we can't do it without you. We need to hear from you. We need you to make your voice heard in our democracy. Please cast your sexual attention award vote in our twitter poll find us at buffering cast the poll will be live from today the airing of this episode for one entire week so please let us know whose tension you fancy <laughs> all right well um you know we started with a worm and some chuckles, and we ended with a lot of heavy shit. So we know we're in the right place. Uh, we are here. We are watching the show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, together with you. And um, hey, the next time we have a conversation, it's going to be live in real time. And Jenny, you're going to oh be sitting my God. right next to me instead of through the screen. Ah! It's going to be so weird to not be looking at you while I talk. 
I yeah. Could we set things up in some way where we can, <laughs> can stare deep into one another's eyes? Wait, it's could like I two, actually two zoom you from the other room? One is just me and one is just you, but we're actually in yeah. the same room across from each other. Choose your fighter. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you are just hearing this for the first time, I'm not sure where you've been, but on November 13th uh, and available on demand for seven days after, Jenny and I are recording live. We're recording next episode, same time, same place, because we'll be in the same place at the same time. Wow. Honk. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, uh, do I not get my supporting honk here? Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Anyway, I think that's an episode. I think we did it. And uh, like I mentioned uh, already, we'll have uh, our re-airing of the conversation with Jess Clark and Alba. And uh, then we'll be back with same time, same place. Onwards and downwards we go through season seven. Wow. From beneath us. Well, it devours. From beneath you, devouring, I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. And when I'm not making this podcast with Kristen, I'm making a lot of music, if you can believe it. In fact, just last week, uh, I released a new original little sweet little holiday song called Fireside. You can find that streaming everywhere. And on this very day, the day this episode is released, my band LAX's have also released a holiday bop Ugh, called My I've Favorite needed. Time of Year. Yes. So please feel free to check those out. Also, my last release, Echo Mountain, has just come out on clear and also gold dust vinyl. Ooh. So wow. that's happening. Uh, and you can hear more of my speaking voice over on my other podcast that I make with my friend Helen Zaltzman called VMI Pod. Hell yeah. I can't wait to get two of those records so that I can look at one through the other. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you get the secret message. That's how you decode (laughs) the location of my treasure. (laughs) Uh, From beneath you, when I'm not devouring, I am helping LGBTQ communities. Uh, You can learn about the work that I do. With workplaces specifically, I've been doing a lot of talks at workplaces recently. Um, My favorite, and I'm sure I've mentioned it, but my favorite, favorite, favorite thing that's happening more and more is that uh, parent, the parent ERG of a workplace is getting together with the LGBTQ ERG, uh, and it brings together a a large amount of the the workplace. And then we talk about how to be uh, a great parent and ally to LGBTQ people. It's beautiful and brilliant. And I love when large companies put their money to causes like that. It is amazing and it makes for a better world so anyway you can read about the work that i do at kristinnoline.com uh my middle name is noline it is not kristin online k-r-i-s-t-i-n-n-o-e-l-i-n-e you can use that spelling to also find me on twitter and on instagram um and you know you can also follow us as a team as a duo but where from beneath you? Buffering the Vampire Slayer is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at BufferingCast. You can drop us an email at BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com. You can support the work that we do by joining our Patreon family. We have a lot of things happening over there, including, but not limited to, a brand new installation of Feels Like the First Time with me and Jenny. Jenny showing me 
Firefly, the television series, for the first time. So incredible. You can uh, learn more about that and all the things we do on our website, bufferingthevampireslayer.com. If you want to join us on Patreon, just click on Patreon. If you want to shop for things in our store, you can do that. Just click on shop. It's pretty straightforward. And um, if you want to rate and review us, you can do that too. This episode was produced by Kristen Russo, Jenny Owen Youngs, and Al Badaza with support from our consultant, Mackenzie McDade. And it was edited by John Mark Nelson and Kristen and everyone. Till next time. Oh, yeah. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.